Tico Whalen straightened her back with a sigh, flexing her shoulders to ease her cramped muscles. She tossed the soapy bar rag into the water pail and glanced around the empty room. It was getting harder to keep up the old inn. There was a lot of love rubbed into the warm finish of the wood, but even love and tallow couldn't hide the cracks and splits in the well-used tables or prevent a customer from sitting on an occasional splinter. The inn of the last home was not fancy, not like some she'd heard about in Haven. It was comfortable. The living tree in which it was built wrapped its ancient arms around it lovingly, while the walls and fixtures were crafted around the boughs of the tree with such care as to make it impossible to tell where nature's work left off and man's began. The bar seemed to ebb and flow like a polished wave around the living wood that supported it. The stained glass in the window panes cast welcoming flashes of vibrant color across the room. Shadows were dwindling as noon approached. The inn of the last home would soon be open for business. Tika looked around and smiled in satisfaction. The tables were clean and polished. All she had left to do was sweep the floor. She began to shove aside the heavy wooden benches as Otik emerged from the kitchen, enveloped in fragrant steam. Should be another brisk day for both the weather and business, he said, squeezing his stout body behind the bar. He began to set out mugs, whistling cheerfully. I'd like the business cooler and the weather warmer, said Tika, tugging at a bench. I walked my feet off yesterday and got little thanks and less tips. Such a gloomy crowd, everybody nervous, jumping at every sound. I dropped a mug last night and, I swear, Red Ark drew his sword. Pa, Odic snorted. Red Ark's a soulless seeker guard. They're always nervous. You would be too if you had to work for Hederic, that fanat. Watch it, Tika warned. Odic shrugged. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, published in 1984. And our guest tonight is Wendy Wagner. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. So uh, how familiar are y'all with Dragonlance? Pretty familiar, at least with the first couple of books. I definitely read them as a young person, and I was super into them. (laughs) Yeah, these were these were definitely like formative for me back in uh, the mid '90s, early '90s, maybe even the late '80s. (laughs) Like, I've definitely read the whole first trilogy and like a bunch of the weird side books, and probably a couple other full trilogies. Yeah, I I can't be the only one here who, uh, upon learning that. There had been actual D&D adventures of this, uh, and maybe there was some relation between the adventures and the novels, uh, rolled up characters and then like went, you know, went through fights with them and then tried to write it up like a book. Mm. Like, tell me, someone else did that, right? When they were 13? I mean, certainly a lot of people did <laughs> uh, because I, there's like many stories uh, along the Weiss and Hickman lines of, of oh, this started as mm. a role playing game. Including really like Disco Elysium. You ever played Disco Elysium? Wow. Apparently that started as like someone's homebrew game. Wow. That's amazing. Um, when I was a kid, 
My sister had left behind the red box of D&D, but there weren't any other kids around to play it with. Um, and so I like tried to read about it and like, you know, figure it out a little, but it made like zero sense to me, but I still thought it was brilliant and like the coolest thing in the whole, whole universe. And so then like I made my own game kind of inspired by D&D that involved something to do with rolling dice and playing jacks and there was always battles and, um, and I was also extra impressed by these books because as a kid, I didn't pay attention too closely to the author bios. I was like, Margaret and Tracy, these are a couple of cool chicks writing this book. Mm-hmm. And I just really, really, really wanted to be them. And in fact, you know, I've written two um, role-playing game tie-in novels, not least because of these books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to get into that at some point uh you know <laughs> it seems kind of funny that you know like uh i did that at 13 and and then i i guess at some point you're like you know what i think uh maybe i'll get paid for these that seems <laughs> that seems like a, a a smarter move uh but yeah yeah these books uh, i also uh like my neighbor played at one point and then he went away uh and then i at some point inherited a cache of books from my mom's friends and I just started like collecting uh, the the, the role playing books uh, and, oh, that's then, awesome. and then never playing, of course, but just yep. you know reading and uh, which you know right now my my books uh, the ones that I have left are on the lowest shelf uh, just in case my four year old wants to uh, go into them, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, nice. You know you got, you got to learn the word dexterity uh, someday. That's right. right. That's, you know. <laughs> well, I just feel like those those books are like incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And actually there's a lot of really cool and useful stuff that gets published as like ancillary material to go with like role-playing books. Like, um, I mean, just like the books of monsters are so fantastic and like inspiring. Um, a couple of years ago, I saw a book, it, it was for Pathfinder, which is, you know, related to uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and it was about like how to plan a heist story in your, in your game. And I felt like the advice to like game masters um was so good like i feel like every writer should read it just like if you want to write a heist this is a pretty good instruction manual i really dig it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah my favorite like i also spent most of my childhood looking through the books and never playing <laughs> and all of them like are just so dense with little bits you can pick out and just be like, okay, this thing lives in my mind now. And maybe like in 10 years, it'll be something else that like I've written a story about or like I've used as a structure. Totally. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like, you know, kids who play D&D are like mocked, but I kind of feel like it's nerdier to be a kid that wanted to play D&D <laughs> and didn't get to. And it's like, I just read the book. Yeah. 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 Although, it's so funny. Like, uh, I try not to, uh, in my advanced age, uh, look down on the youth of today and how easy they have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, like watching kids TV, like it's so much better than what I remember. Uh, but uh, like, I don't know, my, my, my uh, well, here I am outing him on uh, our, our podcast, but my 12 uh, year old nephew uh, wants to get into D&D and like, 
And I just, I, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, I, I don't remember ever like meeting anyone else who wanted to get into D and D, but like he and his friends just like want to play. Like, and I don't know if this is an effect of mm-hmm. like uh, actual play uh, YouTube or Twitch uh, streaming, but like it seems like uh, it, it's less or. Maybe the the TV show Stranger Things uh, succeeded where mm. ET failed uh, in making D and D cool, <laughs> but like it, it seems like it's more popular these days. Oh yeah, I think Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons is just huge. Everybody I know plays it. It's kind of amazing. Now I'm like the nerd that's like, uh, I don't really want to play a role playing game. Mm. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or like they, they've got some people are like, oh yeah, like. D&D, that's for kids. Like, I'm into this story game where we play, yeah. you know, the, the you know, female pilots in World War II Russia. You're like... Mm. There are so many totally cool, neat, and and bizarre role-playing games you can get just now. I saw a Kickstarter the other, like, maybe a month ago that was a game that you play. Um, it's like a short timeline game uh, where you are raccoons who live in suburbia who have huh. to gather trash to create an airship so you can fly <laughs> around and get better garbage to eat. And it sounded so fun and so ridiculous. <laughs> And great. <laughs> yeah. We are standing on the shoulders of giants, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yep. I, I, I do love also, like, I mean, you know, back in the day, it seemed like so many role playing games were trying to be like everything or like really all encompassing. And I, I, I'm not just thinking of like those multi genre games like Torg uh, or mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Riffs, where like you really could go from genre to genre. But like these days, people. Uh, well, like, uh, Vin, not to buzz market, mm. but <laughs> you, you wrote like a little mini game just about like, uh, people trying to find a mysterious witch, uh, in the marsh and like get her to grant your wishes. Right. Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've written a couple of, of mini RPGs and like, it's, it's such an interesting space to work with because you can just be like, instead of trying to, you know, fill out all of the conceptual space of a world and what someone might want to do, you can just be like. I want a tone. Yeah. I want to stick people with this tone and make them live in it for a while. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Yeah. I played one a couple of years ago. It was fun called Ribbon Drive. And the idea is you're on a road trip with like a group of people and each person makes their own playlist. And Ooh. then like you select from the playlist and that changes the direction of the game and things like that. And that was like... Um, it was a pretty neat and cool experience, and I got to hear a lot of great music, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, in the past, when we have uh, not talked about a book for this long, it is usually because <laughs> uh, we don't want to talk about the book, but like just to check in <laughs> and make sure um, and put my cards on the table. Uh, I read the the, the main uh, chronicles, uh, the Dragonlance Chronicles, several times as a child. Uh, I like it, it is that way in which I I want to say that, like, I love the books, but like, I don't even know that I can separate myself from the books, uh, in a way. Right. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, there, there are some scenes that like, I have not read this book in multiple decades and there are some scenes that I could just like tell you like, oh yeah, this is what happens. Or like, like, this is a line of actual dialogue that I I think I have Mm -hmm. like pretty accurately remembered. It is kind of crazy, but 
Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing with like these kind of books. It's they are, you know, we had, it seems like we're all kind of around the same age. We had sort of this limited mm. selection of books, you know? And so like this was a huge thing in fantasy and i think anybody who was interested in fantasy in the late in late 80s early 90s read these books and just absorbed them into their dna i think you know if you go to any convention probably every single person who's like over the age of 30 has probably read these books and has like a lot to say about them mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah because they're like also, these are sort of like they occupy kind of a very specific, like especially back then, like a very specific sort of niche in fantasy where like it wasn't the like pulp barbarian 60s, 70s stuff. It was something with like a more like recognizable sense of character, I think. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was reading these at like the same time I was reading um, Raymond Feist's series. Like he had uh, the Magicians books, and I, which I think the first one published in maybe eighty three or eighty four, um, and they very much to me have a similar feeling. I, I think David Edding's uh, first series, actually, in his second, well, all of his series, what am I saying? They have a very similar vibe. Um, they that's kind of it's not. I mean, yeah, I guess it's sword and sorcery, but it's not as, like, dark as, like, Moorcock or things like that. And it's mm. just, um, it really is a lot more about characters having adventures, and there's often a, a real sense of fun going on with them. Mm. Yeah, I I, I have a, a half-baked, like, history of fantasy uh, in America, where, like, uh, like, for the longest time we were, like, or, or for the longest time the uh, fantasy tradition was, like, uh, sword and sorcery, Conan, uh, sort of that uh, mm-hmm. pulp uh, version, and then you know in the 30s, and then especially like through the 40s and 60s, when like Tolkien became a bestseller, like that sort of quest uh, fantasy took over. And I kind of wonder sometimes what what fantasy would look like if we'd never had Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, and this does seem I, I don't know. Like it's funny because in my in my mind I remember the Dragonlance Chronicles. As like, you know, it's this like grand quest to, you know, restore peace. Uh, you know, it is it is it is not like a, a grubby, like we're just mercenaries fighting for gold. Uh, sort right. Of story. Yeah. But this opening uh, and I guess I'm jumping into the text here, but like there's something so uh, homey and relatable in a way about this. Yeah. Like 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 Vin, you were saying like there's something. Uh, recognizable about the characters like or these are recognizable as characters that you would relate to or think about um and i know people say that about some of tolkien's characters especially the the hobbits um Mm. you know as like you know english small folk sort of uh you know just like the common people uh but there's something here about the way that like we start with tika just like uh uh you know trying to uh unkink her muscles after trying to clean uh, the bar it's just like oh yeah like again maybe this is because i have a, a four-year-old but like i know what mm-hmm. it's like to be tired from cleaning like yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's like the hominess is something that like i remember very strongly as a huge aspect of specifically this book and like it was sort of nice to to hit this page and be like oh yeah we just jump right into that um 
But like, I think the, the interesting thing compared to the way that the Shire is presented is like, we meet Tika and Odic here and this place, like they're not hobbits, they're human and they're not dealing with an idealized kind of hominess. Mm -hmm. They're tired. They're surrounded by war and they're just like getting by, but they're also still in this extremely like comfortable lived in place. Yeah, of all the things that I really remember from that those books now, it's it's the tavern is number one of the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, vaguely remember other elements and uh but <laughs> yeah, just that tavern. Who wouldn't want to go there? Who wouldn't want to get like some ale and just hang out? Yeah, this is also like I don't know if there was something that would have been I mean, aside from like sort of the prancing pony, the iconic your party meets in a tavern scene, but like uh, the mysterious white bearded stranger gives you a, a, a mission. Yeah. Like this yeah. is so definitionally that in like, in a way that kind of defines the, like the genre almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or at least the cliche. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we probably should read our first line to be uh, up with our tradition. Tika Whalen straightened her back with a sigh flexing her shoulders to ease her cramped muscles. I mean, it is funny. I, I, uh, thinking about the things that stick with you after, you know, 20 years, Mm -hmm. I did not remember this kind of prologue. Um, and it is funny thinking about this in relation to, uh, other prologues where like, uh, I feel like the fashion these days is to do a, a prologue. that's kind of like, the finding the dead body in a law and order, like a cold open, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, or like, I mean, maybe the, the prototypical one that I'm thinking of, and it's a little old is, uh, George RR Martin, you know, like, uh, the ice zombies in, uh, the first, uh, song of ice and fire books. Like you want something that's like, you know, exciting or, or like in, in screen or in screenwriting, there's like the cliche of like, you show someone in danger and then like, you know, flashback to three hours earlier, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a little, it's a little cheat, you know, and a trick. Cause like, you want to start with action. Uh, so it's interesting to come back here and see like our action is they're getting the bar ready or, you know, or the, the, the inn, And like, there's a lot of feelings here, uh, which I'd kind of like to tease out uh, a little bit, but like, mm. it's just, it is very like, things are not idealized. Right. Yeah. Uh, a, a, as you point out, like there are problems. Uh, and yet, like it's just two coworkers who like seem to like each other, uh, just getting ready for a day of work. Uh, there's something very, yeah, like not fantastical about that opening. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything smart to say about that. It just, uh, mm. it just struck me as like interesting. Like, I wonder if you like, is this a common sort of prologue style just to start with like, uh, everything's kind of okay. Hmm. It's kind of funny because it it reminds me a lot of a, of a lot of openings in cozy mysteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, cozy mysteries really lean two ways, and that's the, either with that cold open or with uh, we start at the store and we're getting ready for a business day, and it's going to be like the coffee shop or the you know the the little store that sells yarn or stuff like that, and. I feel like those kind of openings do a really great thing to get you immediately like 
sucked into caring about the characters uh, in a way that, like, you know, for example, the cold open is obviously designed to anti-attach you to the characters. You immediately know that person's going to be toast even before they're dead. Um, And I think, like, that's really, like, one of the strengths of the story of these, like, the whole, like, this Dragonlance, the first trilogy, is just being super absorbed into the characters and, like, seeing them come together and, like, have their relationships. And I think, like... Like, you know, in the Fellowship of the Ring, there is a fellowship, quote, unquote. (laughs) But, like, I mean, it's broken by the end of the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, luckily, Sam and and, and, uh, almost Frodo have each other, but it just seems like most of the people don't have very strong relationships, Mm -hmm. and that's not what matters. It's just about the adventure, the quest, the mythos. And it's like, ah, this story is not going to be like that. That's that's not what we're here to care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to obviously be an issue, but that's not the number one goal. Yeah. yeah, like particularly like in the Lord of the Rings, their relationships are sort of like, again, sort of the mythologized almost brotherhood of war. Mm-hmm. Like you are supposed to think that like Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas have this deep, deep bond but it's not something that's portrayed in a humanistic way. Yeah. Well, definitely the Lord of the Rings is is a book that's not about characters. It's about archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody in that book is, is a person. They're all like symbols and stuff. Yep. Yeah. I mean, can anyone really tell me what the personality differences are between, uh, uh, Peregrine Took and, uh, oh boy. Yeah. The other one. (laughs) (laughs) Pippin and Mary. (laughs) Who remembers his real name? Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we have a business relationship it's very formal uh, hmm. <laughs> Peregrine and I but it's also it's interesting and, and this is uh, uh, of course uh, it's funny like at, at this point Vin uh, I feel like every episode is us saying like well this is us breaking the format because you know very very often we like to read the first page and just the first page and just say like is the writing good what do we think is going to happen next whereas in this book we all know it yeah. and like yeah. you know I'm just waiting for when uh, Tasselhoff uh, throws a, a dagger at an orc and, you know, they say like, oh, do you want us to get it back? And he's like, no, you can never get the smell off. And then mm. at, <laughs> at, at the end of the chapter, he says like, oh, and anyway, it was, you know, it was something that I stole from one of you. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's what Kender do. Uh, mm. um, but it is interesting also just to go back to what you were saying about, um, like about the importance of relationships and like the, like the cozy character uh, and here in this prologue, uh, I could be mistaken, but like, I, d- I don't actually recall Otik, which is kind of funny to me. Um, and of course, Tika is related to people who are central characters here, but the, like, these are not main characters in our fellowship, right? Right. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah Tika I- ends up almost being like sort of the mascot of the party. Yeah. Yes. Um, Cause like. Everyone else is sort of like named in that big rhyme that they put on the back of the book. But like she never goes away. She's always there. She's part of the group, but she's not part of that heroic tradition in the same way. She's like kind of the heart that keeps everything running. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, w- what I was thinking of was that like, you know, again, breaking the format, since we know th- these are books about like war and how people try to be heroic in war, mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting 
that like we start with people who are like going to like like these are people who are going to just try their live their lives and we're going to see the cost of war uh, a little bit through the common people which is like not a big thing in lord of the rings mm-hmm. i can recall like wasn't, wasn't yeah, there not. didn't one of the movies have like an insert scene where we see like a village get ransacked but like that was not actually in the book i seem to recall eh. uh but like again like yeah this is going to be about like this this is going to have a strong theme of like how the common people survive mm-hmm. yeah hmm. so another thing that i noticed that is that like in terms of the language this is a surprisingly sensual page like we start out talking about tika and like her shoulders and her muscles and then we go into like the wood of the inn and like oh where is it um the living tree in which it was built wrapped its ancient arms around it lovingly while the walls and the fixtures were crafted around the boughs to make it impossible to tell uh, where nature's work left off and man's began. Like it's, it's very much like there's a lot of physicality and like, what am I looking for? here? like the essentiality in this page. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. You get the feeling that the authors want you to feel like you're there, you know, and they're bringing their A game on description for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is a lot more than we would get in a uh, boxed, uh, you know, read aloud uh, in a module. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a lot more feeling, which is again, it's something that like, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't know if I was thrown by the first line of the second paragraph. Uh, it was getting harder to keep up the old in uh, because so much of this page is about how much, uh, care and love they have for this place. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, she, like she smiles in satisfaction and, you know, Odic is whistling cheerfully. Like there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of, well, this is going to be very silly, but there's, there's a lot of feeling here about these feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of like, like it's, it's sensual in that we're, we're placed there in their senses, but we also are placed here in their, uh, emotional relationship with the inn. Gosh. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. It's almost I guess like I'm... the inn is a character itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Like all I can think is that uh these either of these two must have been just like the most fun people to play Dungeons and Dragons with. Mm. You know, like uh there for a while my family was playing a campaign that was um for Call of Cthulhu, right? And we kind of took turns. Each of us did like uh, our own little like storyline and got to be like the gamekeeper. And it was just great to see how each of us approached the different tasks of that. And um, and I just like, I don't think any of us will ever forget some of the places that we came up with for the game uh, and, and, and how like they were introduced to us and, like, I feel like if I closed my eyes, I could just, like, be back in uh, our family's version of of this this game's uh, tavern. You know, we, we called it the Snug Harbor. <laughs> and our characters spent a lot of time there. And, uh, and there were some other locations that were like that, too. And um, I just feel like when you're gaming together you just kind of want to draw that out of each other Mm. like 
just feeling like you're hanging out in the places that and, and your imagination, they become so real. I feel like that must have been what it was like gaming with Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny also just like, I mean, so so many of the places that you, uh, so much of the settings, uh, like I'm almost going to talk about the places where you're actually sitting to play because like I can close my eyes and instantly be back uh, in the, the place where I used to play uh, with Vin in college. Mm. Uh, but like, yeah, there were so many, like, sorry, and this is going to be just me repeating things that you've said, uh, but mm. like the, the feelings that you have for these places are real, I guess, even if the places are not right. So like, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I do also, as, as a side note, just want to, like, what would a cozy fantasy look like? Like, oh, there's there's a game. What is it called? Oh, there is a game. There's a game about running a tavern. Yes. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Some, some friends were just talking about it. Yeah, it it's where, where like, you're a party of retired adventurers and you're running this tavern. And, like... Essentially, the process of the game is you swapping out, like, over time, your adventuring skills for tavern running skills. <laughs> uh, Friends at the Table did a, a couple episodes of it, and I've forgotten hmm. the name. Hmm. Uh, also, while we're looking that up, so, w- w- Wendy, are, are you playing now? These days? No, no, not right now. Um, we play, I guess our, our last game was back in, like, beginning of 2019 huh. my husband decided he's he really prefers like board games to role-playing games huh. so we have been kind of on a role-playing game break for a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was very fun stuff i don't think we really did a very good job of like following the rules <laughs> i feel as if we very rarely looked at the gaming manual uh but we had like such a great time at one point our characters wound up in Iceland and my brother who was our gamekeeper at the time he was like teaching us like Icelandic phrases as like something our characters could do Mm. like while we were sneaking around and studying these cultists and stuff Uh, it was an absolute blast Stewpot is the name of it Stewpot that sounds cute it is pretty cute yeah the 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 picture for it is a very like kind of eight bit uh, cauldron over a a, a fire in a, in a hearth or uh, oven. It is very cute looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Nice. Now, now, who who will write like the great you know like mini game novel like 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 <laughs> these series are, are this great? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, not not fantasy, but Cat um, Rambo has a new. Um, it's kind of like a cozy space opera from what I've read. It's about these like retired adventurers who have like a restaurant on a space station and things go awry and they have to have adventures, but it's still kind of around the restaurant. It's called like Sexy Beast or something like that. I don't know, but I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> and it's very cozy. At least at the beginning. <laughs> um, although it's funny, also, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to go into this, but uh, your you you mentioned that you wrote uh, role playing game tie in fiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought I remember hearing you talk about 
uh, how the main character was a retired adventurer and and a mom. Yeah, yeah, the, which is like not a thing we see often. <laughs> yeah, so those two books were really fun to write. Um, the main character was yeah a former pirate and she has a kid and when her husband dies she uh kind of realizes that maybe being a pirate is not like a healthy environment to raise a kid in and so she joins up with her brother-in-law who's just like a normal ordinary like guy with a boat who wants to like ship cargo and and like you know do things and in a very law-abiding way and they go out to have just be law-abiding traders and of course that doesn't go as planned mm. <laughs> <laughs> and she's always tempted to like be a bad person and go to the dark side and i better not <laughs> yeah yeah uh i mean yes when, when raising a kid it is hard to uh explain why why uh they shouldn't do they shouldn't break certain rules you know, uh, while you are breaking them, like, uh, by marauding, yeah. uh, let's say professionally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am curious. I don't know. This is very far afield from our usual discussion, but, uh, as you were writing that, like, were you consulting rule books or thinking about that? Or were you, were you, uh, absolutely. Um, so the process of writing a book for Pathfinder, uh, they don't currently have uh, tie-in fiction going on right now, but when they did, you would start by pitching your idea to the editor, and then you would create a succession of more and more um, elaborate outlines. And the outlines had to work within the rules and the world of the game. And the number one rule was like, you can't break anything in the game, right? So you have to play nice. And the like you you make like a s enormously thick outline. It's like, you know, six thousand words long or something. And that gets presented to like the whole publishing team. And they go through it and they make sure everything makes sense and it's going to work with the rules it's going to work with other people's storylines because of course there's other fiction coming out and there's other like you know gaming modules coming out and things like that and they'll make suggestions to like clarify action so it can work better with rules and, and things like that and so then if you get approved to write a book for them you're going from this outline that has been sort of you know game proofed <laughs> uh so and so then like as you're writing if you're sit like the first book that i wrote i i didn't really understand how magic worked in pathfinder so it's like i'm just gonna not have any magic <laughs> like as little magic as i can get away with <laughs> but then the second book i had played more pathfinder by the time that came out and so i had a better grasp of how it worked and so there is a little more magic in that. Um, but like, you know, you're like trying to write a scene and you're like, I think this possibly <laughs> can be imagined in a way that wouldn't be totally violating every possible rule. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that uh, that's kind of how these books work, too, because uh, I do know that they did play with those characters for a while and mm -hmm. some of kind of plot test everything so it's i mean at least that's what i've read so yeah i think you could if you want to just 
play the books. <laughs> they wouldn't turn out the same because you wouldn't have all the dice rolls. <laughs> I will say from my experience as a 12 year old trying to write a narrative from like every die roll in a, in, in a uh, fight, mm. uh, <sighs> that is not how good fights are written. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of like, like he swings his sword and misses. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that was, uh, I feel like I should have learned that lesson a little, uh, more quickly, uh, back then. <laughs> I feel like even, even in my like thirties and actually, I mean, even probably today, some of my writing every once in a while, I was like, I'm going to go really into detail on this one thing. Uh, and like, it's not going to be very interesting to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. yeah I, I know just what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it, I don't know, it does live in such an interesting, like, I mean, we always talk about how books are in uh, conversation with other books. Uh, right. But like, <laughs> th- these books are like literally in, in conversation with, uh, or like, like in a real, very literal, like companionable way. Uh, like th- these books go along with that series. I still remember when like, like, I, I still remember the moment of revelation when, when, when Raceland casts uh, a, a light spell. And he says like a magic word. And mm. I was like, oh my God, like that's a verbal component. Like I understand verbal components now. And like, <laughs> like, you know, like be- before in my games, it was always like, oh, you say the magic word. But like here they like came up with a word and it was so cool. To, like imagine like, oh yeah, you could, you could like add details to things like this, you know, not just like, oh, I wave my hands, but like. Yeah. I definitely had a, a mental list in my head, like from ages like 12 to 15 of all of the like spell components and phrases and gestures that get specifically laid out in these books. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I know we, we've, we we're probably pushing against time and we really haven't talked that much about this first page in like close detail, but I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a consensus that like we enjoy this page. Uh, that there's something very homey and warm uh, about it. This is this is a better page than I expected to find coming back to this book after twenty whatever years. Uh, I was like, like going, I was like, oh, this could be rough, <laughs> but this is at least pretty solid. Yeah, there was um, there were a lot of exclamation points, particular and like that second half, I was like, wow, you guys are really excited to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's how it is when you're at work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like a little bit of that, the turn in, at, at the end, which uh, I, I don't know if will come off uh, clearly in the uh, recording of the first page, but when, when Odic is saying that, you know, uh, Edric is a fanatic, you know, and Tika, yeah. you know, cuts him you know and and then his response is just a nice like shrug like they're not going to get into a fight this is probably something that happens like every day yeah that, that is something i want to touch on because that's like such a strong friendly like fond co-worker relationship where like he's not gonna not say the thing that he's thinking but he also knows that she's actually like if i remember like she's observant religiously so like he's not gonna not say it but they are going to do that little dance where she's just going to be like, watch it. And it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Like that's such a lived in coworker relationship uh, that I think does a lot of work. Like again, in the whole context of this as being like a cozy space in a war torn novel series. 
definitely. I guess we haven't talked about the cover again. I, I can't be objective. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I love the way this cover is like three people looking kind of suspiciously at us mm-hmm. and behind them is a dragon. You're like, <laughs> guys, stop, don't look at us. There's a dragon right behind you. It's totally going to roast your butt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is obviously like they're like we got to get a dragon on this cover mm-hmm. and they are like how are we going to make this work it was kind of hilarious but and then i also i love the way they were very clearly like we want people to know there are three different classes on this cover mm-hmm. like <laughs> everybody needs their gear that's right that gear needs to be visible mm-hmm how do you know she's a barbarian? She's got braids in the front of her hair, just like Conan. Yep. Well, this is like, <laughs> wait, is this, this is, this is 84. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, is that around the time of the cartoon show or? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think it is. Like, I think, yeah. I was just going to say it has that, that, that air of just being like, oh, like, like, who's this guy? Like, oh, he's the ranger. Like, how do you know? Yes. Like, oh, he's, he's got the bow. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like I always loved the way that they continued the the visual theming through the three novels, where each one has a different set of characters in roughly the same pose, but with like essentially a different season and a different color dragon in the background. Right. So like as you went on, you got to be like, oh, this book has like Raceland and Caraman and uh Tasselhoff on it. And like just picking out all the details that you recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super fun. Like, I feel like the the like literalist fantasy cover is is on the outs these days. Mm. But there was a very specific joy in like going through and being like, oh, I can see these details in this image now. It would always be so great when you were reading to like find that scene that was the cover and be be mm. like, I know where this happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's so great. I think one of my favorite details about this cover is the shield that you can see. It's just like so battered and worn looking. I just thought that was like such a delightful, delightful touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's not, it's a shield that's like generic in a sense because it doesn't really have anything on it, but it's also still distinct. Like, yeah, it looks like a shield that was produced for use um, as compared to like a lot of Sturm's other armor pieces here, which are super fancy, but like having that sort of featureless shield as compared to like, they could have done an elaborate kite shield with all sorts of heraldry on it, but having it be just this battered thing tells you so much more. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of expresses the relationship so well between a guy and his gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say just one one thing as as an adult coming to this book, I kind of wish they had given everyone uh, uh, Gold Moon's kind of like saucy, like uh, hip cock. <laughs> right. Oh, yep. Just like, you know, head head turned. But yeah, no, there's something also just like, I you know, I guess, you know, coming like, so, like, you know, as a kid, you watch Star Wars and you're like, okay, like, that's a movie. Like, it ends with a happy ending. Like, every, everything is happy. You know, there's, like, maybe, like, some scary scenes, but it's not that bad. And then, like, the Dragonlance Chronicles were just, like, I don't know, things get 
hard. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like it is not a happy, like we start with twilight and then we go to night and eventually we get to dawning, mm-hmm. you know, in the third book. But like, yeah, like it is, it is definitely a series of progressing catastrophes. You're, you're warned. I mean, it's, it's autumn right there. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff's going to get real. <laughs> you might say that winter is coming. Ooh. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, <laughs> I'll say that uh, we've had time. And uh, well, Wendy, where can uh, the people find you? Oh, uh, well, my website is uh, winniewoohoo.com. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. And like, I'm also on Twitter at WN Wagner, or you can always find me in the editor's chair at Nightmare Magazine. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Ben LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. <laughs>